Welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. This week, we break down Zack Snyder's true vision for the Justice League, which sought to undo the wrongs of the 2017 theatrical release. Did Snyder truly create a cohesive experience? Or did he try too hard to save something that couldn't be salvaged? Don't worry, we'll answer that question, and it won't take four hours. Hey, before we cut out all the unnecessary humor, remove comical CGI facial hair fixes, critical issues with plot, completely unexplored character motivations, new characters, add 122 extra minutes of runtime, spend 70 million more to produce, and consider whether or not the DC Expanded Universe should continue. Here are a few housekeeping items. We are Joe and Mark, two dudes who love discussing pop culture with you. The DD crew, as we like to call you. And we are tremendously thankful for your support. In only a week's time since our launch, you have listened to our episodes, watched our videos, and are making a dream come true for us. We can't thank you enough for being great listeners. Based on your support, we are quickly growing and can be found on more platforms. What we currently need, though, is your continued help to reach more pop culture fans and to keep this show on a great trajectory as it's already started off with. So we need your help to like, comment, subscribe, share, and most importantly, review us wherever you found us today. We're currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. You can also join the conversation on Twitter, where we share more news on the podcast and pop culture in general. You can find us by searching for at Digital Dissect One or Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. We're also currently working to join more platforms. With all that out of the way, let's find out if Zack Snyder got the job done or if this franchise needs to be put on a recovery suit for a while and figure itself out. Joe, I imagine you had to be pretty excited for this one. I don't know. This one I was kind of torn on, to be completely honest, uh, of whether or not I was excited to actually see um, a movie that was a little more well-built and put together, or just to have it finally finished to say, all right, here it is. It still sucks. Let's move on with our life. And that's kind of where I was. I wasn't going into the Snyder Cut. I really didn't have any expectations for it at all. Given what Zack Snyder gave us already, I was not in like the, basically the, uh, the Snyder corner of fans that were excited over his gritty, dark DC universe where everyone's a brooding hero, not just Batman anymore. Um, so I wasn't excited to necessarily see that continue. Um, I think I'm actually in like this rare corner where like I looked at the 2017 Justice League I was like, you know what? It wasn't good, but I still had a fun time watching it <laughs> in a weird, in a weird way. Um, yes, um, Superman and his digital shave was abysmal. It was horrible. Um, and for whatever reason, Batman just became like the butt of every single joke of the movie. Um, oh, yeah. But like there are some character switches to me, to me that made sense with what went on. But it wasn't enough to really, you know, save and make it into a decent movie. Well, it's like an eighth grade diary, right? You're not sure mm. if you want to come back to this, you know, after <laughs> after a few years. <laughs> just, should we should we let it die or not? And mm-hmm. and you know that that's that's a funny thing that you mentioned about the the characters because you know from the original cut to the the new you know Snyder cut, 
I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a complete transformation there. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, we'll definitely, you know, dig into that a bit more, but ultimately I think it's a good idea to start off with, you know, the original justice league mm-hmm. and maybe explain for some of the folks out there that, you know, haven't spent a ton of time with it. Maybe they're just hearing about it for the first time. You know, what, what was the reasoning for why the first one just did so bad? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at it, try and find a movie where you switch directors at any point and it it did well, <laughs> like they're, they're not out there. Um, like mm-hmm. another like classic example of this is um, uh, the Island of Dr. Monroe with Val Kilmer. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. Yeah. I yeah. That one. yeah. That one switched directors halfway through it and it was just like, it was horrible. Like I remember like there was so much, not like not the amount of hype that this movie got with the Snyder cut, but there was a lot of previews. Uh, they're really trying to like increase, like promote a flood release of this movie and a lot of like 90s hype because it's such a classic storyline and a visionary director. Val Kilmer is this amazing actor. Uh, and then you, of course, had um, uh, Jarrell himself, whose name is for some reason. Uh, um, yeah, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. Thank you. Also, yeah. this this um, very well-respected actor. And you had all of these big things and it just fell apart. It just mm-hmm. didn't do well. And that's kind of what happened here, except for vastly different reasons. Um, basically you had Warner brothers looking at Disney and Marvel, like just crushing box offices with their superhero movies and theirs just weren't doing that. And they wanted what felt like a fast road or a fast track to fixing that because what you had been getting were very, very harsh criticisms of how Zack Snyder was handling this cinematic universe. Like I'd mentioned before, like, we don't want all the superheroes to be brooding and mad and like seemingly like dismal, like through their existences. Like that's a Batman thing. That's part of what makes him him. But like the point of Superman is to be a hopeful like person. He's not someone you relate to. He's someone who inspires you to be better and to do more than what you think you can. That's his purpose. And man of steel, we had a character who was struggling with doing that because he was told to hold back by his father. He was told to not basically show off, to not really do anything, but to be who he's supposed to be later. And he didn't know who that was supposed to be until eventually he heard things from Jorel. And mm-hmm. as we find out from uh, his mother, the, uh, the lovely Diane Lane in the, in the <laughs> next movie, uh, he doesn't owe humanity a damn thing. So you have this character who just hasn't turned into the hopeful character yet but with possibility of doing so and we just never see that because we don't we didn't get man of steel 2 we're probably not going to get man of steel 2 ever um and instead we got this jump into batman versus superman dawn of justice mm-hmm. which is probably one of the worst superhero movies ever made i'm just going to say it like especially with its budget like don't count like the 80s and 90s attempts at like fantastic four and the punisher it's like those things were done on a budget uh, and like you didn't get great actors necessarily for them. Like this thing had a big box office budget to it. You had big name actors and actresses in it. And it was horrible. It was a dumb movie from start to finish. I don't see how anyone could really enjoy it if you're a fan of the characters or just movies because it doesn't tell a good story. 
you don't get characters making any sense from how we're, we're used to seeing them. Uh, Batman's going around branding people before he sends them to prison. Mm-hmm. He's also fully aware that when branded in prison, uh, they kill you when they see the brand like other inmates do. So Batman is knowingly just fine with getting people killed. Doesn't give a shit about it. Um, Superman's still not very hopeful. Hates Batman for some reason. Um, I mean, for some reason, basically the reasons I just said. And then the big turning point of this is that they have the mother. They have a mother with the same name. <laughs> this was the butt of every internet joke for at least a couple of years. Well, it was still, dumb. It was a still. horrible reason. Still, still funny. There's, there's Godzilla and Kong. Oh, I references <laughs> with with the Martha joke <laughs> for <laughs> both so. movies too. Like for both <laughs> Godzilla versus King Kong movies have that Martha meme made out of them. It was just a bad movie. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Dumb movie. Um, and then you have that. Like, it got smashed by reviews by both critics and fans alike. Yeah. And I think Warner Brothers basically got the hint, like, Zack Snyder's not working. And he's already doing Justice League, and it's more of the same thing. And also the untimely event of um, Zack Snyder's daughter committing suicide happens. So he's not really in a good place to really finish the movie, even though he's got most of it shot already. And Warner brothers just wants to go a completely different direction now. So he's kind of more or less pushed out of this movie um, from my understanding. Yeah. And And there's a couple of things though, that I'd like to mention to you before we get too mm -hmm. far into that one, the Punisher starring Tom Jane was (laughs) a a classic in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Others may not agree with that, but to keep this focused on Zack Snyder, I mm-hmm. think one of the early issues with some of the movies that you mentioned and him getting forced out of this position probably had to do a lot with the fact that he approached it from the thought that I'm going to make this dark to begin mm-hmm. and then I will make it more lighthearted as we go on. Mm-hmm. Which when you think about making a movie series, as you get to know characters more and as the stakes get higher, as you would imagine you know, with a, an earth level invasion event, it just doesn't make any sense to no. do that. Mm-mm. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all to make a movie so dark that you can't show any personality to your characters. No, I, none at all. And to have no real good character development development that happens other than this, other than for the fact that the movie needs it to happen yeah. is more or less why like Batman needs to change. But the reason why he changes is pretty dumb. He gets Superman killed which is what he wanted from the beginning, by the way. Mm-hmm. Batman straight up wants to kill Superman at the start of that movie. Uh, the first time we see Batman in the cinematic universe. One Roman shows up on a whim for no real good reason. Um, like you have, which also again, like that, that showing up, like it didn't make any sense. Like she just randomly shows up to fight Doomsday, which also stupid use of Doomsday in this cinematic uh, franchise. Uh-huh. Totally um, throwaway. Totally a throwaway. Totally character. throwaway. Like, and then, like, she shows up. How does she show up? How does she know Doomsday is even happening? Like, she doesn't have any. Like, there's no like extra like perception that should allow her to know that Doomsday is here because it's not well announced that Doomsday is smashing through the city. Like, especially like if you read the Death of Superman growing up. Oh yeah. Like just the brilliance that they did, like to set up the fact that they're reaching the last issue because somewhere in every issue leading up to the point where Superman dies, 
Doomsday is getting closer to Metropolis and he like reaches a sign that says how many miles left he has to get there. So it's mm-hmm. this countdown to Doomsday, this countdown to Superman's death. There's this big build and eventually Superman, which we find out didn't actually die in that, but whatever. It was this nice big build to the point where he's like smashing through like the United States until he reaches Metropolis. He literally gets resurrected, goes straight into one fight and is killed in that one fight. Yeah. Like, how is it that anyone knows that that's even that he's even there, uh, let alone uh, one Roman who somehow goes to that and completely ignores the Kryptonian invasion of Man of Steel? It, Just you picks know, your battles. Apparently. It's, it is so ridiculous that so much happens within a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is almost every single like DCEU film that occurs, you know, yep. up until Justice League. Everything else is. It's so like specific to one movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's no way it can feel connected. And so by the time that we do get the first Justice League here or the you mm-hmm. know, version one, it's it's to the point where obviously WB is upset. Yep. You know, they're they're tired of this. Like you mentioned before, 90% of what Zack Snyder had actually filmed wasn't even used Mm-mm. because when they bring Joss Whedon in. He starts rewriting it for this like lighter-hearted, yep. you know, we're gonna try to make it you know feel like an MCU film. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden characters aren't making sense anymore. Yeah. You know, there's not a single person in that movie who feels like they have a motivation of any kind. Mm-mm. So it totally makes sense why it would be a box office bomb. Oh yeah, completely. Like again, like um a few things like change for like again, I'll I'll say like hundred percent, like that's Superman in that Justice League movie is some of the best we've seen of like traditional Superman on film in a while. Yeah. Um, he's hopeful. He's inspiring. He takes time out of the larger battle to make sure uh, people are safe. He does everything that Superman should do, but he's a CGI mess. Um, and that's all you can, that's all anyone can focus on. And that I don't blame them. Like, it's like a train wreck. Like, yeah, we know there are people there helping, but you're stuck looking at the train that's on fire. That's just what it is. But again, like again, like like you said, when he when he basically does this, you've got one woman referring to Superman by his Kryptonian name, which there's no way she should know that. Oh, She's yeah, acting yeah. like they've been friends for years. Um, all these characters seem to have all these like connections that they do in the comic books, but they didn't have those in any of the previous movies. So it just doesn't make sense with what we've seen on film already. So yeah. for those people who aren't like big comic book readers but enjoy superhero movies. They go into that thinking like, well, I watched the last one and it wasn't like this at all. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's more lighthearted. It might be a little more fun in some senses, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, Christopher um, Nolan said it best that mm-hmm. that he he said to, to Snyder that it would break his heart to watch oh, the yeah. original version of this film. And it broke the hearts of pretty much anyone else in that mm-hmm. audience because it did a lot of things that I thought was kind of unprecedented for a superhero film, which was piss off the fans. Mm-hmm. It pissed off the executives. Mm-hmm. It pissed off the actors that were in the movie. Mm-hmm. It pissed off the executive producers. I mean, there was basically no one involved in this that was happy at the end of it. And it was so strange because we've already talked about the, the pissed off fans, right? Yeah. Well, they're the ones that kind of kept this this idea of the Snyder Cut mm-hmm. going, you know, once it came out. But ultimately, we've got a split, split canon here alongside yeah. a split vision, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. when you look at the the MCU, Kevin Feige, who, who you know is he he basically runs the the overarching you know uh, 
he, he's like the, the project manager atop everything, keeping it all cohesive, right? Well, in the DC universe, they don't really have it. So imagine if you're the next director in this planned universe, right? Like if you're James Wan's Aquaman, you got to come back afterward and say, oh yeah, <laughs> our movie takes place after Justice League, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, if you're Patty Jenkins who directed Wonder Woman, she comes out and, and says, well, if WB doesn't consider, you know, Snyder's Justice League to be canon, I think it does. And you're like, well, well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. so what the hell are fans supposed to do at that point? What I don't do we know? And it's, well, I mean, like, I, I think we could spend a good half hour sometime talking about how the whole DCEU is just a mess. Um, oh, yeah. When you've got, like you said, like you've got Aquaman who definitely the character you see in the Aquaman movie is more like the Aquaman that we saw in um, the original Justice League movie, who is basically like, I don't know, he's, he's a fun bro, <laughs> is more or less yeah. what he is. And he's like, I'm fine with that. Like, considering what Aquaman's always been the butt of the DC universe with jokes. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, you can talk to fish sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then you get Jason Momoa in there, and he's kind of like this rock star biker <laughs> who is Aquaman. And you don't even care that talking to fish is one of his powers because he barely uses it. He's doing all these other things. Um, and then Patty Jenkins, who's publicly saying that, no, my movies are not worried about what happened in um, the 2017 release. I'd rather focus on kind of like just doing her own thing more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the whole DCEU is definitely a mess. We don't know what's going on with it. Flashpoint's coming up and we'll see what that does with it. Uh, well, that does to the the DC extended universe, um, but well, yeah, you know, we do need to throw a little bit of credit though to Richard Donner's Superman two. Mm-hmm. So in 1980, uh, we we got Superman two. You know, mm-hmm. which some folks may say is you know horrible CGI, quote unquote, and you know it's <laughs> it's it belongs mm-hmm. in a time vault. But there's an important precedence that got set here in mm-hmm. 2006 because you know Richard Donner asked repeatedly. This wasn't my original vision. Mm-hmm. You know, once again, this is one of those movies that got, you know, studio interference and things didn't yeah. quite go the right way. So Donner was actually able to finally recut the film in 2006, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think at a point here, you almost have to wonder if that doesn't happen. Does the Snyder cut even get the light of day? Yeah, it's interesting you know? to do. Um, um, yeah. If, if, yeah. if fans can have that much control at one point, where if, if, if DC just said, no, we're not doing it. Um, or more of us said, no, we're not doing it. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. Well, I mean, I could see that being part of it. But then I, I really want to say that when you started, what probably made a bigger possibility of making this happen is when you started getting more and more um, complaints from the actors on set about what, uh, how Joss Whedon was running the movie and oh, how yeah. he was treating the talent of that movie, yep. along with... Um, all the all the shutdowns and um, other like productions coming to a halt and they can't go on filming anything else. Um, and of course, like the fact that, you know, Zack Snyder's daughter had taken her own life that Warner Brothers probably just looked at that You know what? Um, we're going to let him finish the movie. Like I, I, This is almost what I think of is how it is. It's like maybe they're just going to let him finish the movie is like a sign of, hey, we fucked up. We shouldn't have done this. And this is what happened afterwards. We're going to let you finish your movie if you still want to do it. And on top of that, like, you know, they, they got to put something out during a pandemic. Um, whether, it, even though it wasn't yeah. theatrical, it was, was straight to HBO. Um, but I don't know. I think 
you take a look at like what Nolan did and not, not, not Nolan, um, <laughs> what, what Donner did, plus all of this stuff happening. I think it all adds up to create this, basically this perfect storm to make this movie happen. Well, we've got 180,000 signatures from fans. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the cast and crew who continually said, we want to see the original vision mm-hmm. that we, we think belongs here. Yeah. You've got executive producers, Christopher Nolan and Emma Thomas, who never stopped telling Snyder, create your vision. Mm-hmm. You know, they were very big parts in this. So ultimately, you've got fan activism or fan activism on your side. You've got celebrity endorsements. And really, at that point, you've got just pop culture pressure from every direction to get this shit off the ground. So fortunately, that well, that perfect storm comes together. Mm-hmm. And here we are now. So for those of you that were interested in actually hearing about the new Snyder Cut, this is your official break for us to start talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> here's where we actually start talking about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, ultimately, here's what I want to start off with. So we've got an R-rated film now. As far as the R-rated part of it goes, the only thing that I thought they should have put for this is like chapter one, rated R. We say fuck now. (laughs) That'd be a great way to start. Or maybe we just get it, because we did get parts one through six. There should have been just a straight up forward. (laughs) Rated R. We say fuck now. Welcome to the new (laughs) Justice League. Because that's really all it was used for. Like, I mean, some of the violence was... It was kind of it was kind of there, but yeah, it, it was standard superhero stuff. I mean, I, I think the R rating. I, I was just thinking about this, like if we're justifying certain things about the cut, the R rating. I don't know if it really adds much value to it. I mean, what is your thought on that? No, no, the same. Um, I mean, yeah, you get more violence. You get Batman dropping an F bomb uh, here. I uh, think he does that. There are a few of them dropped because I remember he does it at the end of the movie with the whole. Um, um, one of the two post-credit scenes, and I, you can't see me doing post-credits in, in air quotes because there's no post-credit scene in this movie. They just roll everything that was meant to be a post-credit scene <laughs> immediately after the last scene of the movie. It's um, true. So you get Batman um, telling Joker that he will fucking kill him um, at one point, and other than that, you have a little more, little more violence. But I don't think it adds a whole lot. There was no, I guess there was initial shock fire that, oh my gosh, the DC superheroes have an R, have an R-rated movie coming out. That's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. But no, I don't think the R rating necessarily does a lot to help this movie. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't do a whole lot for me. I mean, I, I thought of it like a like a Bloody Mary with like an extra pickle on the top of it. You know, like <laughs> I, hey, I don't need that to enjoy the alcohol. Okay, I mean, you can put it on there, but whatever i mean the the r rating was fine um but it just it just didn't really feel like you needed it all that much but either way actually getting into some content to the film and for those of you that somehow managed to get here to this point there's definitely going to be spoilers here so if you're going to listen in at this point we officially absolve you from listening to the rest of the episode if you would like to move on Mm -hmm. but ultimately um one of the first things i wanted to talk about in this movie was the the whole bank heist in the beginning Mm -hmm. you know where wonder woman makes her her uh, triumphant entrance and all that. Um, something interesting about this that I, yeah, you, you don't see happen a lot in superhero films. When she arrives and then you know saves the day with the, mm-hmm. you know the the bullet dodging show that she pulled off, which looked cool, but I was kind of sitting there going, "This is ridiculous, even for a superhero movie." Yep, the amount of slow motion <laughs> used in that chunk of the, in a, in a very small part of the film, it's like, okay, so slow mo will be a heavily relied upon tool for this movie. Oh, it's just mm-hmm. so much. It was just so much. But oh yeah. 
when you first see her in the beginning of this, I thought it was neat because in a lot of superhero films, you see the superheroes save the day. Mm-hmm. Stuff goes great. But then Wonder Woman actually stops and like does like a meet and greet after she saves everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, that really doesn't happen too often that I can think of other than honestly, a couple Superman movies do that. Um, the first time you really, really see it, um, I think is in like actually Superman four. Um, I don't think he really does it in any of the other Superman movies. He's definitely like nice to the public and everything, but like mm-hmm. after actually saving the day, the first time I think he remember doing is in Superman four, there's a, um, out of control subway train and he stops it from, you know, smashing into a wall you go actually takes time afterwards, gets onto the subway car to check with everyone, uh, reminds them that uh, this is statistically speaking still the safest way to trans- travel within the city. Um, and he hopes that this hasn't like, you know, scared anyone from taking the subway anymore uh, after he's done everything. Everything's OK. He uh, then again, as a kind of actually a nod to that scene um, in Superman Returns, uh, which is like by far the coolest part of Superman returns is what we already saw kind of saw happening in the trailers. Unfortunately um, mm-hmm. is after he's done saving the plane that's falling and yeah. he puts the plane down in the baseball field, flies up, tears off the door, gets onto the plane and checks to make sure everyone on the plane is fine. And again, reminds them that flying is still statistically speaking, the safest way to travel um, and hopes <laughs> this hasn't uh, scared anyone from doing so. But yeah, no, otherwise we, we really don't. I'm even trying to think of in like, even in the Marvel movies um, um, and not taking away from them because they, 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 they've set up an amazing uh, universe of, of movies with a few, I mean, a few doozies here, here and there, but for the most part, when the heroes are done saving the day, they just, you know, they take off. Um, There's no interaction like no. between superheroes mm-hmm. and, and the people they save, or if there is, it's, it's, you know, it's very limited. It's like, you know, Hey, I've saved you now. I'm going to hand you off now to someone else from, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, emergency relief here. They're going to pick you up now. Take good care of you. And, <laughs> and so I, I think the reason why this happens here is potentially because we have just more time to do mm-hmm. these types of character development things, because, you know, if you remember the original justice league, we really just kind of get the, the brief interactions between like Aquaman and Batman, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't get a whole lot of Diana in the beginning. No. Um, we get some really quick snapshots of cyborg, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't even really go into his connection between cyborg and the mother box. No, no, they don't. It's other than just like the mother box, like is kind of used to make him. And that's about it. Uh, yeah. They don't really delve into exactly what the mother box has like made him able to do it's just oh it saved his life uh from an accident yeah. and that was it yeah it mm-hmm. and and that's what i think is really critical about the early portions of the the snyder you know recut here mm-hmm. is that you know yeah it's a four-hour film but we're not like we're not basically skipping around now no. we actually have we have <laughs> we have time Mm-hmm. To, un- to understand what these superheroes are actually kind of like now and, and, and what they're focusing on. And so with Diana, you know, it, she's kind of been that way since the beginning, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's no confusion there, but one of the things that I thought they actually did really well was starting to actually give motivations to characters mm-hmm. um, starting with, you know, uh, plot twist, you know, St- Steppenwolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually have good motivation this time around. Like uh, last time, it's kind of like this loose paving the way for something that's coming. And he's just really, you know, all about worshiping uh, the unity and the mother boxes. And he's not really like 
explaining why he's all like up in their business and why he likes them so much. There's no, no real, I don't think, I mean, I haven't seen that release in a while, but I don't think he really even mentions dark side at all. And if no. he does, it is like right as he's getting his butt kicked back into a boom tube um, or right before it. So like you just kind of have a, a bad guy for the sake of being a bad guy, which isn't a really good villain in a movie. Um, one thing that you have to do, uh, actually, I heard this in an interview with Jason Isaacs recently, um, which if you're not familiar with Jason Isaacs, he was uh, uh, Draco Malfoy's father in um, yes. that Harry Potter series. <laughs> Lucius. Uh, Yes, Lucius Malfoy. Um, and he also he plays Colonel Tavington in the Mel Gibson movie The Patriot. Oh which, yeah, mm-hmm. which uh, that's one of my favorite films of all time. Yes, which the, apparently the uh, the part where he walks walks rides into a church on his horse that was his idea, <laughs> and he thought of it as they were filming it, and the director loved it, but the set guys were like, "But they, 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 he won't fit through the door." <laughs> and Isaac's like, that's oh, okay. Well, we just we won't shoot this scene today. You fix the door, we'll come back to it later. And that's what they did. <laughs> and and, and I'm pretty day. sure it was also his idea to fire the house and barns, even with the people inside. It was. You know? It was. It was it was what made it, it's again, it's part of why Isaacs he talks about in the interview that I listened to was up again on uh, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, um, inside of you. Um, he talks about like what attracts him to like roles. And when he looks at villains, like he doesn't like playing villains who are bad for the sake of being bad. He likes them to be motivated. And especially he likes them being believable. Cause one of the things that he said that made Lucius Malfoy so believable is he's just a racist and it's easy to like understand the motives of a racist and really not like them and hate them for what they are. And that's what Lucius Malfoy is. He just pines for a time when he was younger and he sees the changes in the world today and he hates them. They need to go back to what they used to be. And that's, part of the reason why you can get behind not liking Lucius Malfoy or um, his character in uh, uh, in the Patriot mm-hmm. uh, because like he is like for the crown nothing will stand in my way for making like basically you um, kneeling at my boot and that's like that's what attracted him to those characters but anyway uh, again like we had Steppenwolf who went from being bad for the sake of being bad to he is trying to redeem himself so that he can yeah. get back on dark side's good side, more or less his good graces. Um, yeah. And he can be welcomed back onto apocalypse. So now that this villain is motivated to succeed, that makes him when he has conviction, it actually makes him a threat. And we have actual danger at this time. Uh, whereas before it was okay. He's just kind of a big tough guy who wants to throw everyone around. Well, whatever. The thing is, it's it's crazy to think that I actually found him to be more relatable when I when I realized that <laughs> that yeah he's committing uh, interplanetary genocide all across the universe, mm-hmm. and it's all because you know because of his betrayal of Darkseid that occurs at some point in his mm-hmm. his recent past. You know they don't really go into that a whole lot, but no, um, mm-hmm. but they do discuss it and they finally bring it up. And so I actually felt really good for actor uh, Kyron. Hines, who played him, who voices mm-hmm. the character. Um, you might remember him, actually, ironically enough, from uh, the Harry Potter series because he played uh, Aberforth Dumbledore, so Dumbledore's brother. Yep. Um, he was also <laughs> in uh, <laughs> he was in Game of Thrones as well. Uh, mm-hmm. He played the the King of the Wildlings uh, and all that. So for him to actually get um, you know a little bit more screen time and to you know actually make Chiron's 
his his whole portrayal actually makes something out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because Steppenwolf is just such a throwaway character in yeah. the in, in the the Whedon cut of mm-hmm. of Justice League, right? Like, I, I'm guessing that Whedon is just so used to having these. Um, there's no like he doesn't actually believe in like gray evil. It would seem right, like at least from no, the no, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just a mass of evil and it's coming mm-hmm. your way, and you get to fight it and. I mean, that's essentially what both Avengers movies were that he directed. Yeah, just, I mean, it's just you've got one baddie surrounded by faceless enemies, and that's it. You just have to beat the faceless enemies and the bad guy in the middle. And that's that's really all you see with Steppenwolf mm-hmm. in the original. But in this one, they legit fix everything wrong with him in the the Whedon cut with one line of dialogue. You know, where he says, "You know, I I want to, you know, I want to please, you know, Dark Side and, mm-hmm. and be welcome back into Apocalypse." And you're like, "Okay, yeah." I get it now. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all the depth this character was actually missing, and you fixed it very, very quickly. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. it, it's like it's like homemade chicken soup. All it needs is a dash of salt. Sometimes it doesn't need a whole lot, right? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you just you just make that a okay like the hand mm-hmm. gesture. And you're like, yep, got it. And that's all it took. Yeah, all it took was there. So great job fixing Steppenwolf. Um, also, like again, like we talked about Cyborg a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. He gets a lot more. Um, pun intended justice in this movie than he did in the original cut just by again like bringing in more of you know what the mother box actually does for him what his powers actually are um seeing his powers more in action and what his abilities are throughout the movie Mm -hmm. are really really good um we really see more of a better side of the strained relationship he has with his father silas stone yep even though i actually kind of liked how they handled Silas in the original movie over this one. Yeah. yeah. It's mostly just because like Silas stone that we saw in both of these movies, he's definitely a dad who put, who prioritized kind of his work over everything. And like, it's not like this is a dad with a normal nine to five. And he's like, Oh, I just got to do this. And I'm focused on this more than anything else. Like he actually had that kind of world saving work that he was trying to accomplish with. And he had more of a legitimate struggle of, working and not being able to go to his son's football game but that aside it's still going to hurt the kid it's still going to hurt you growing up and we see that basically through every every iteration of cyborg um except in these movies in both of them silas is aware of that flaw of like he actually knows that like what he's doing is hurting his kid but he kind of feels trapped because of his responsibility in the comic books like Silas Stone really is a hardened asshole because he's an old mean son of a bitch and doesn't really care. Um, because like in these movies, like you hear his mom talk about um, uh, like your dad is actually proud of you. He just doesn't know how to show it very well. Whereas mm-hmm. in the comics, like Silas Stone flat out tells um, uh, his son, like what you're doing as an athlete, like it doesn't matter to anyone. Like you're literally wasting your time on that and doesn't care what his son's doing like day to day Um, and really throw like, he's like, nope, what you're doing is throw away. You need to focus on things that are more important uh, sort of thing. And And so in these movies, you get this more of a nice father. And at least in like the Whedon version, um, he survives to the end to try and like make a reconnection. You see that at the end of the movie, where is he? Again, spoiler alert, he dies in this movie and he never really gets to redeem himself in it. And you realize too, though, I mean, depending on on what time period we're talking about, like mm-hmm. 
the work of Cest, you know, Silas, uh, the relationship between Victor and his mother is obviously more important, right? Like mm-hmm. you see just how important it is to, to him to, you know, to have his dad at the games, but dad can't be there. So him and his mom, you know, really bond a whole hell of a lot more, which makes her death, spoiler alert, right? Yeah. It makes her death that much more important to his character development mm-hmm. because you get to see, once again, we've got four hours to explore this stuff. So you get to see the, the pre-Victor, you know, mm-hmm. athlete, mom relationship, and then the post relationship and how it impacts both characters, not just, yeah. not just, you know, not just Victor, you get to see how mm-hmm. Silas and Victor both balance that. So at least you've got that story arc, you know, fleshed out and completed. Yeah. And what I think is one of the first parallels to the uh, MCU here, though, is that you've mm-hmm. also got this very similar relationship between Vision and his Infinity Stone and Victor and the Mother Boxes. That, that's that's one thing I saw that I went, mm-hmm. ooh, like I, I get it. It came out in 2017, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But even then, you're still on the coattails yeah. of of the Avengers movie. So mm-hmm. seeing that parallel um, to me, it, it felt like an interesting move because you, you're getting elements now of both of the Avengers movies, whether mm-hmm. it's an Earth invasion or an Earth level invasion event. And now you've got this character who has a very intimate relationship with a key piece, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the battle that he can directly communicate with. Yeah. And so, you know, I, you, you know, me, I'm like, I, I was a Marvel fan long before movies came out. So for mm-hmm. me, it was like, I, I'm not trying to find these parallels. They just exist. They just exist. And I mean, comic book companies borrow from each other so much. It's hard. It's hard to really like fault them for that though. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, like, like I mean, you even look at the baddies of this movie. Look at look at Dark Side and Thanos. Dark Side was first, and Thanos came after. <laughs> and they're true. basically the same character. It's true. <laughs> they it's are true. the same person. The only it's, difference is one has a, a badass, you know, Omega symbol on his chest, and the other one doesn't. I mean, that's yep. basically the only, <laughs> only, only real difference between these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can. I'd love to talk Dark Side uh, later as we we explore things too, because Dark Side is 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 very nicely explained in this movie, and I think. The best time to talk about that is we look at like, should the DCEU continue? And we can talk about like what Zack Snyder's vision was for after this movie um, and what he was going to do with it. But other than that, um, kind of like wrapping up a little bit with uh, with Victor, um, Victor Stone. It was fun seeing uh, his backstory, too, of like they put in like he isn't just an athlete. He wasn't just able to break like four tackles uh, in a game to win in the last five seconds. Uh, which, by the way, classic Wisconsin Badgers to blow it right at the end <laughs> <laughs> as a Wisconsinite. Thank you for putting that in there. But yeah. like even see how like he's like helping out like his fellow um, like his friends who were like had failing grades. And he was basically hacking university grading uh, grading systems and changing their grades for them. Um, and so it's like, yeah, so he is he's very intelligent in his own right. So like the, ath- the athletic thing is there. But he is a very well-rounded human being and a, and a very, very capable um, person within the DCEU. Uh, so that was also yeah. fun to see this time around. And, and to sum it up, too, though, mm-hmm. you know, you immediately are introduced to the themes of redemption because yes. it, doesn't, it doesn't just start with Victor. You've got it with Darkseid. And you also have it as a recognition by Batman that he also mm-hmm. needs to, to grow from you know, the, the last couple of movies, he admits his mistakes that he, mm-hmm. you know, he called his shot with Superman incorrectly. Yep. And, and immediately you can latch on to Batman because 
he knows he he needs the redemption from the things he screwed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We we see that in both films, but in different ways. Um, and it is nice that Batman's redeeming himself in both movies. But I think again, like the decisions made with Batman, Zack Snyder's Batman is vastly superior than the Batman that we got in the 2017 movie. Um, you go from I think something's bleeding. Something's definitely bleeding. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> which was just terrible. Like it's, <sighs> it's very classic, like weed and humor. But like that shouldn't have come from Batman. Like, uh, like Flash, that would have been fine with. Uh, Bro, Aquaman, also okay with. But like, don't do that with Batman. That was a dumb idea. Um, and like I remember, like the the 2017 movie, you did have like uh, a conversation between um, uh, Bruce Wayne and Alfred talking mm-hmm. about how um, Superman was more human than Batman than Bruce Wayne or Batman ever was. Yeah. He uh, got a job. He pays his taxes. He fell in love. Like he's everything that everyone should like want to do as a human being. Um, and Batman just isn't. And he kind of like said goodbye to that life a long time ago. And he realizes that like, Hey, he wasn't someone who needed to be killed. Like he's someone who needed to be understood or talked to or talked yeah. with. Um and that's kind of like you can see like, oh, that is this driving force behind why he's doing it, uh, why he's trying to get the team together, of course, also to save the world. But that's also the same thing we have here. It's just instead of Batman being laughable about it and you don't get that conversation with Alfred this time around, but you do have Batman acting very differently as he's fighting. He's still like still Batman. He's very, very capable of handling himself against the parademons of this movie. But like he's not a joke about it. And I also really like that in this movie, Batman's not so quick to just grab a rifle from a parademon and blast it away like the old <laughs> no. West. No. No, that that no. he basically that doesn't happen until the very to like, you know, the final act in like the very well, last fight. Um yeah. but like he holds like he holds like he holds himself or he's able to hold himself through this um and not be so completely unforgiving. Uh, throughout the movie he's so you vulnerable you see it yeah he yeah. is mm-hmm. he's vulnerable he's one of the most vulnerable superheroes in this entire movie mm-hmm. and, and so it's a completely different look at him than it was in 2017 mm-hmm. um and and to your point about him and alfred you know almost every time that he talks to alfred it's from uh it, it's almost like if he was ever on a soapbox he stepped down mm-hmm. and alfred's got like three more that he's standing on Yep, because he treats him with such a level of respect that you just don't see, you know, outside of like the Christopher Nolan films, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no. like like Alfred is the one running the show. He he even says it to the rest of the Justice League. You know, mm-hmm. it's like like yep, that's the guy in charge. You know, and and so for me, like watching this version of Ben Affleck's Batman, I I did not really care for him in all the other movies mm-hmm. that you know he was a part of because. Yeah. You just couldn't really. There's nothing about him you could really latch onto. Yeah, and it wasn't Ben Affleck's fault. It was the character and yeah, where it was it, directed. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. it was the character, and and it was the fact that once again we've got these motivations that that for one you don't get explorate or any kind of exploration with it. Um, but now we've got this redemption arc that falls within. You've got Aquaman already, right? Mm-hmm. Because early on you're introduced to him, you know, being the 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 lost king of Atlantis. And so he already has a mantle that he needs to take back up. Um, you know, obviously we've got Cyborg and or Victor 
and his his issues with survival's guilt or survival guilt mm-hmm. and then and like trying to understand his purpose and where he falls in the world um and then we've got it with batman too yeah. you know um so it's and steppenwolf ironically and steppenwolf, enough yeah <laughs> so so this mm-hmm. redemption arc is really interesting because it makes up the majority of that first you know third of the movie now mm-hmm. because we we get to see you know barry or the flash rather um, and seeing why he's doing the things he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we get to see why, um, you know, like the relationship between him and his dad in the original cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we get just that much more yeah. in, in this one where we find out he's looking to take up uh, a really shitty part-time job just to pay for, mm-hmm. you know, his, his education <laughs> so that he can, you know, start mm-hmm. to, to work to get his dad out of jail. And, and so like that, that was a throwaway. That was a really small part of his mm-hmm. character. And so, you get to see Barry's relationship with his dad, who's in prison. Um, who's he's played by Billy Crudup, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Doctor Manhattan himself. <laughs> and um, uh, I think he was a lawyer in Spotlight. Um, if you have, if you're familiar with that movie, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was just cool to see him because uh, you know him and Snyder have worked together before, obviously. But mm-hmm. but you know, in the original uh, Justice League, like Barry is introduced for a split second. You see that his dad's in prison. And then all of a sudden, Bruce Wayne's recruiting him. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, sorry for your dad, but now you need to run really fast for us. Yep. <laughs> and so in this one, it was like, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't care for Barry in Justice League either. I just mm-hmm. felt like he was, he was nothing more than, than comic relief in a movie that was completely packed full of it. Yeah. Um, and now, once again, he's roped into this larger narrative. So... Mm-hmm. Immediately, I'm like, yep, I'm bought in. I know what these people are fighting for. Mm-hmm. So let's see how that shakes out. But, you know, one thing that I want to mention about this that I did feel was a slight miscue was how they did this invasion arc, you know, with, with Steppenwolf and them, you know, them finding the first mother box. It felt really strange to me that, that the stakes were kind of high to start off the movie. But then there's just all this other shit happening that feels like we're kind of waiting around for them to find the next box. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Especially like you have that initial fight with the Amazons and that's a very, like you look at the, the basically the lengths that the Amazons went to, to make sure that the box didn't leave their possession. I feel like they should have maybe swapped the Amazons and the Atlanteans because you'd have that more like casual build, like the Atlanteans put up a good little fight. Um, and which, by the way, I do like that. We actually saw um, actually just how badass Mira can be as a fighter oh. in this movie. Yeah. Um, because again, like she isn't like necessarily, I, I forget like her, like the, all the, like the underwater, like lineages, because she's not just an Atlantean. She is something else because mm-hmm. unlike the Atlantean, she can control the water itself. Yeah. And just that great scene. Well, that great part of the movie where Steppenwolf like has her pinned against a pillar and she yeah. <laughs> pulls the water out from everything around them. And he's like, like, I forget the exact line. He says that basically like, she's like, she's failing or what she did isn't like, it's not going to work. She's like, Oh, I wasn't trying to do that. And she, you just see moisture like, like coming out of his face and eventually the moisture yeah. turns to blood. Yeah. Because she can literally suck the water. Like she has control of the water in his body. And then he has, he realizes, oh, fuck, I've got to get her. I've got to throw yeah. her away. I've got to get rid of her. You can see like how powerful as a, as a character she really is. 
it felt like a, a Scarlet Witch Thanos moment. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Like like all, all of a sudden Steppenwolf is like, he's just kicking the shit out of all of these characters. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he notices it too. And he goes, oh shit, rain fire. But, <laughs> you're you're but, way but, more powerful than I gave you credit for. <laughs> Holy shit. I better, yeah. I better do something about this. Oh my God. He, the panic on his face. And, and up to that point, yeah, he was kicking the shit out of everyone yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to see that happen to him um, was, was kind of cool because you know, too often in these superhero movies, you see these overpowered, you know, they can literally overcome anything mm-hmm. that's in front of them. And then all of a sudden there's that one superhero with that power that just goes, nope. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're, yep, we're going to knock you down a peg. And, and so that, mm-hmm. that was, that was pretty solid. Yeah. That yeah. was pretty awesome. But, but I mean, when you look at the, how the Atlanteans were like protecting their mother box, I mean, it was just like some dudes standing around making sure no one was going to take it. Whereas yeah. the, uh, the Amazons have basically this big stone tomb that yeah. when basically as a last resort, the tomb seals itself and collapses into the ocean. Yep. So it's like, yep, <laughs> like you're made like if you're coming for this box, you're like, you're fucking staying with it. Like you've got it, but now you can't leave yeah. um, was like the goal of it. Uh, and then, of course, they have uh, basically very Lord of the Rings, like um, the realm of man, like just kind of like, well, we're just fucking buried in the middle of the road. Yeah, um, they didn't really have a good plan for it because they were either seduced by its power or just didn't know any better. Um, so, like, it would have made sense that that one was like obscurely put away. Um, like Victor, like put it into his own grave at one point in the movie uh, before he he takes it back out. But yeah, like for- you said, like it, like uh, there was basically just like time between finding boxes, and then when you went from one box to the next, it actually seemed like it got easier to get each box. Well, it, it, for me, it was, that was the one thing that I felt was really strange. It's, mm-hmm. it's if Steppenwolf can reduce uh, the Amazonians to pretty much ash in like mm-hmm. not even two minutes, then he should be able to get it far faster from the Atlanteans and from yeah. man. I mean, because because like the man hid the mother box like you would a spare key under a fake rock in front of your house like <laughs> except you put a sign in front of the fake rock saying hey yeah, just in touch. case i'm not home the here's the spare key <laughs> yeah but but if you're naughty no no do not touch this yeah like yeah your only like, hope is a blind robber at that point <laughs> yeah well and, and the other part too is that you've got these you know the, the beings that are working for steppenwolf and dark side mm-hmm. that can literally sense this these things yeah. right mm-hmm and it's like, oh, well, and they try to explain this with, you know, with Cyborg where he's like, well, they can sense it, but they can't see it. They can't feel it. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, dude, but if you farted next to me, I know where it came from. You can track okay? it down. There's I can track this, you know, He who smelt it, dealt it, and, and he who denied it, supplied it nonsense. You can figure it out. Yes, I could figure that out. If I could sense a mother box, I could probably find that mother. But <laughs> but that, that, that leads into something really interesting here, though, is that they they didn't even expand on this at all in the original. And that is the visions from the box and telling the stories about, mm-hmm. you know, how they came to be on Earth. Yeah, because this is where you start to get that dark side background. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, they couldn't, you know, the CGI wasn't perfect. Right. But they they show you the original battle for Earth. Yeah. And and how the mother boxes are used, mm-hmm. um, what the consequences are of the mother boxes once they sink up and they mm-hmm. they fully power on a planet, they turn everyone on that planet um, into the uh, what are they called again? Demons, the parademons. Uh, parademons, mm-hmm. yeah. So you're turned into these husks of what you previously were, and so once again, this is another another introduction to uh, just how high you know the stakes are here, mm-hmm. right? Like if yeah. Like, 
like even if you've got the the strongest you know heroes on the face of the earth that mother box gets loaded up you're screwed yep (laughs) (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um so it was it was cool to see uh how they had like the greek gods and you know, they even brought Ares back, mm-hmm. uh, and and you get to see him literally dig his axe into into dark into side. Dark side. Pretty cool, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what uh, is another one of those things that people were starting to talk about after the movie came out was, you know, how could Dark Side lose this fight on Earth mm-hmm. and then just disappear? Like he he yeah. loses the fight and then he's gone. Mm-hmm. And which is another thing because, like, at the end of this movie, he's very willing to, like, well, we lost, but you know, let's just fucking invade. <laughs> like, screw it, let's do it again. Well, we're going back. Uh, whereas, like, back then, like, well, if, if he lost then, like, why didn't he have the same attitude? Like, all right, we lost, but we're going right back because they, they do mention, like, exactly why they need to conquer Earth, and it's very, very subtle. Um, but basically, the anti life equation is written somewhere on Earth. And do you remember, uh, do you know what the anti life equation does? Yeah, I, I know that it proves like um, that like existence and free will are futile, and so that if you if you have the formula, you can basically brainwash and enslave the entire world. Yes, exactly, and that's what Dark Side's over. It's 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 basically his Infinity Gauntlet is it's what will allow him instead of like instead of like uh, Thanos with his for the greater good, I'm going to wipe out half the universe so that way we all have like the rest of the half can like live more comfortably, mm-hmm. um, and. I have no interest in ruling it. Uh, Dark says, like, nope, the universe will do better with me in charge, and I'm going to make them all bow to my will, and they won't, they just won't have a say in it. And that's Darkseid's purpose here. So he wants to get the anti-life equation, and to do that, to make that easier, is by bringing the unity there uh, and the three mother boxes to form the unity, he can yep. basically cleanse the planet and find the equation that much easier to get. So as big as a battle this is for heroes, it's just, you know, one more step for dark side to go for uh in his plan yeah and and you know what when people are asking about why he would forget i was actually going to immediately provide the counterpoint to it (laughs) it was (laughs) was think about if you're dark side and Mm -hmm. and you've got your lieutenants out there you know guys like steppenwolf who are literally conquering planets all over the place because they, mm-hmm. they they said they conquered something what like he was supposed to give him ten thousand planets is that what it was yeah that was his penance is ten thousand planets uh to come yeah. back yeah so even if he lost this battle thousands of years ago mm-hmm. think think of how many other places he absolutely destroyed oh, in the yeah. meantime i mean mm-hmm. across across thousands of years I'm, I'm sure you know in his recovery like he probably got one or two planets between <laughs> well, <laughs> between him getting kicked out and him trying to get back well, and, and that might be it. Like he got his ass kicked and that that's at least why I was like, this could make sense mm-hmm. for why he wouldn't have immediately came back was, you know, maybe the anti life equation was like, it, it was rumored to be on earth mm-hmm. and someone had to remind him of it later, you know? Yeah. But it, it made sense to rope it into Steppenwolf's, you know, redemption arc because now all of a sudden his 10,000 planet penance doesn't really matter. It's like, you brought me the golden goose. This is what I absolutely need now. Mm-hmm. So once again, the stakes, they meet the occasion. So we've got this, this, uh, this full attention now on earth. And so that original battle and giving you all of the context of what happened, it, it just brings everything forward. And so now you're, you're all caught up on everything we miss in the original. Yeah. You know, so, and and one thing that then stays the same is to like, okay, we know why they have to conquer Earth. And um, 
why haven't they been back before? And the answer to that was supposedly Superman. Um, and that's yes. the same answer in both movies is you've got they didn't conquer because Superman was around before, um, which, again, Superman was around for a very short period of time, though, which this is still a bad excuse in either movie. Like, seriously, he's around for like, he's around doing shit for like, what, maybe three years, four, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. It's like between you failing the first time and Superman crash landing there and him growing up and then four years. There is a lot of time between that where you could have came back and done something about it. But either way, I digress. Um, that's that's a part that moves the plot for is they need to get Superman back because he was the reason they didn't invade before when a mother box was turned on to do something. And, um, and that's and that once again, that's another motivator for why they mm-hmm. say the timing is right, because in that original in the sequence they show us, there's a Green Lantern there. Mm-hmm. And and this time it's like, nope, there's no Green Lantern here. Yep. The there's no cri- mm-hmm. there's no Kryptonian here. Mm-hmm. So they they know for sure, like, or at least they think they know based on the intel yep. is that the time is right. And so mm-hmm. now that we've said that point, it may make even more sense for why he forgot to come back was because if he knew he wasn't going to be able to get the job done a second time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you shoot or shoot. So you got to take your shot when it makes the most sense. <laughs> yeah. and, so, mm-hmm. and so I think that's what it was. Like he, he was like, you know, I, I could try now, but I don't want to get my ass handed to me again. Um, but going into Superman though, uh, in, in the original cut of this, you know, Superman, aside from the ridiculous CGI mustache removal, <laughs> you know, him him being revived and and the superman that we get once they use the, you know, the mother box to to bring him back to life and everything i felt like it wasn't nearly as confusing this go around for for why essentially he's a wild animal once mm-hmm. he's revived because you know they did cut that, that that line of tell me do you bleed and you're like oh my god that yeah mm-hmm. like like what okay sure <laughs> um yeah. Like he he's he comes out a raging bull. Um, and the only pretext we have that that's probably gonna happen is you have Aquaman talking about how like when you die, like death changes you and like you don't just come back like the same. Basically, he's talking about pet cemetery. Yes. <laughs> is is Some... more or less the reason why <laughs> Superman's gonna come back mad and changed. Because sometimes um, death is better. that that was all i got out of of aquaman (laughs) pretty much is he just reduced the uh the one like the old man's one job in that cemetery we're not reduced he does other things in the movie but but yeah he takes that old man's job yeah and but it's it makes a lot more sense because Mm -hmm. when i when i watched it the original time you know i had read some of the the dc comics growing up but not not as much as you have obviously and Mm -hmm. And so Death of Superman was like a pretty big, like genre bending event. A lot of people just oh, kind yeah. of roped into, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of what fandom you were, you were, you know, entrenched in. So when, when they brought him uh, back in the 2017 cut, you know, he's just beating the hell out of everybody and mm-hmm. he's just a total prick. And <laughs> I mean, it just, it doesn't make any, it didn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me at all. Like I, I get it. Like the idea of death changing people is it's not, it's not original to this movie, right? Mm-hmm. But when they gave it a little bit more, you know, dialogue behind it, and then instead of Superman saying that really stupid petty comment that Batman said to him, mm-hmm. you know, in the previous movie, you know, now it's like, yeah, he is just an untethered wild animal, mm-hmm. you know, and then it was, you know, Lois that snapped him back into, yeah. you know, into reality. So it was just better. I think it was just much better executed that whole fight between him and the justice league. Oh, I, yeah, I would definitely agree on that one. And 
like like Superman on film and Superman and how he gets handled is really, really important to me just because he's been my he's been my favorite pretty much my entire life. Like when it comes to me liking superheroes, he's always been been the top for me. And it's not even necessarily because like he is pretty much when it, whenever it boils down to it, um, he's typically the strongest hero in the DC universe, physically mm-hmm. anyway. Like obviously, like they were heroes that can warp and bend reality to their will, and not he's not gonna be able to do anything against that. But he's also basically what he's always brought out to be is the moral compass of everything. And that's one of the reasons why I think I always look up to him, because even if you can't relate to him, you can at least know what he's saying, um, like has weight to it more so than almost any other hero uh, in the DC universe, which is why, like, if you read things like um, uh, Doomsday Clock was a great read uh, and you had um, Dr. Manhattan uh, going around doing things. And he wanted to know why his reality was so bad and basically boiled down to Superman's not there. And that's why mm-hmm. his world is so hopeless is because he's out. Um, and just countless other like Superman reads where you figure out like, it's not his powers that make him endearing. It's who he is as a person that makes him that way. Because even when you have Superman growing up um, in Soviet Russia, one of the things that makes him like who he is, is he always believes he's doing the right thing. Yeah. And that's what it has to like. That's what it has to come down to Superman. He has to believe he's doing the right thing, and honestly, wholeheartedly believe in who he is, and more importantly, what humanity can be. And if he doesn't yeah. do those things, like it just doesn't. It kind of falls apart, and then he's just a he's a brawler at that point. Um, yeah. And like that's what he's reduced to, kind of initially when he comes back in both these movies. But then he gets more purpose as, as he goes along, and then when. And that is something that is also similar in these movies is when Superman does come back, it is very evident that like he's all that needs to really be there anymore. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> they just do yeah. it in different ways. Um, but, but the initial return for him in this one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after he fights the, the Justice League and everything, you know, when he's walking through his, his ship and you've got, you know, Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. you know, speaking to him through the, the memories of the ship or whatever. Yeah. Like that, that just had a little bit more meaning behind it because mm-hmm. it, it, like, it wasn't just confusing for, for him coming back to life. Yeah. You know, it, that was his struggle, the entire DCEU, mm-hmm. um, even, even more so in Batman v Superman, you know, like, like society was sort of turning on him a bit, you know, you get the whole fa- false idol statues and oh, all of yeah. the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the anti Superman sentiment that was going on there. And so it was nice to see that that Superman didn't just forget about all these things he went through, mm-hmm. you know, just in the last like couple of years. And so yeah. for him to get meaning and not have to rely on the rest of the, the, the justice league to mm-hmm. attain that, I thought that was a singularly important point. Oh yeah. That, that they, they decided to have that be just him, mm-hmm. like his, his whole, once again, stories of redemption here, his, his redemption and regaining his motivations um, it was the most, I mean, they're all deeply personal motivations. Don't get me wrong, but this one felt like it had, I would say that the, the best fleshed out redemption, right? Like, because he's, he's literally hearing his, his father and his adoptive father mm-hmm. um, and, and just hearing them kind of pep him back up, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, can't, I, 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 I'm not mm-hmm. even going to lie about it. Like I had some goosebumps hearing, just hearing that voiceover um, and then also his recovery suit, which was the best time to use it because oh, yeah. he puts on, if for those of you who haven't 
seen the recovery suit before that's what he's wearing in the movie it's the Mm -hmm. it's the black and gray suit and everything um which technically is kryptonian's underwear right pretty much yeah (laughs) (laughs) any any superman suit you see is just their underwear because they actually wear armor everybody um yeah well i mean i mean it depends like his like his actual suit pretty much always is like his mom made it for him uh, which is just another it's another like whole thing of superman is like his cape is literally the blanket he was wrapped in when he came to Earth, and his suit his mother made for him. Because Kryptonians don't wear anything that resembles what Superman wears no. uh, from, it, from his his saving days. It's the Jimmy Woo oversimplification here, right? Like, but <laughs> yeah, but mm-hmm. but the, I thought that was what was really cool leading into you know what's essentially like the final battle of almost all superhero films here is that you know Superman being able to like you know go from just i would say from like 10 percent to you know this dude's supercharged right mm-hmm. like when when in in uh in the mcu when iron man gets hit with lightning and it's like <laughs> you're, you're you know i think it's your power was three thousand percent or something and he's like you know how about that how about that that's what superman does because you know he's he was obviously impacted by our our universe's son and that's how he got his power so for him to be in the recovery suit go out into space and get full-on ray shot at him Mm-hmm. You know, that made sense to me as to why he is like re- ready to go. Yeah. And in that final battle with Steppenwolf, he beats the fuck out of him. Oh, yeah. It's not even a chance. It's not even a, not even not even a, a, a competition. No. You compare like even like compare like Superman coming back the first how he interacts with Steppenwolf the first time. Yeah. You've got in the original movie, uh, the team is basically had their backs to the wall. Steppenwolf is monologuing about how the unity is truth. And then Superman's like, I'm a big fan of truth, also a fan of justice. And it's terribly cheesy. And he just starts <laughs> whomping on Steppenwolf after that. And yeah. then this one, again, just more of that darker Zack Snyder tone. I believe like he's about to take an axe to one member of the team. And Superman yeah. just right between the axe and the end and Steppenwolf and the person takes the axe, just the blunt of it right to his like shoulder does yep. absolutely nothing to him he's like oh, i'm not impressed he goes he goes nope chuck testa yeah <laughs> <laughs> he just bashes nope. seven wolf away um <laughs> oh god it, <laughs> that seeing that that whole scene because you you knew that like when mm-hmm. when he because he actually meets up with alfred once again alfred's got like a a, a much more like paternal relationship in this movie compared to others and so you know, he, he had met Superman once before. And so when Alfred says to him, I, I just hope there's enough time left or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for him to show up right in that really important moment. Um, and then, yeah, just he break he breaks off Steppenwolf's like one of his horns, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he beats um, the shit out of him so mm-hmm. hard. It, it, it's, it's like it's like in uh, Scott Pilgrim where he's like, like he punched the highlights out of her hair. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, like I, I rewound it like like three or four times. I'm like, he is like he's just going like wild yeah. ape on, on Steppenwolf here. And God, it was great to see that. Like just mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, like, but once again, this is this is actually taking you know plot points and making them meaningful. You know, because it's not just a hyper violent scene. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is Superman getting his his full redemption alongside Victor. You know, alongside Batman. Um, you know, Aquaman to an extent. I don't feel like for yeah. him it was nearly as high, but no. uh, Bear, Barry as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like like everyone here is is got a, a pretty 
you know, big meaningful reason now as to why they're a part of this team, you know, whereas in the beginning they were just recruited and shoved into it. Yep. And so it's, uh, yeah, I just, once again, I have never gotten goosebumps from a DC movie before. Mm-hmm. I'll be completely honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> but, but when that ax comes down and Superman's just like, Nope, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. You're getting your ass beat right here. And right now that, that for me was like, Ooh, Ooh, yep. You got to chill I'm, there. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. So mm-hmm. it, so it, it's it's just great cohesion, you know, in setting up future films. Even though we're we're not going to get getting, that, likely, likely not getting those high. Right, right, like not getting. We're not. Like Zack Snyder's already said he's he's moved on. He's not doing any more any more Justice League or any more DC um, related stuff. He's got other yeah. plans now. Um, so speaking of that, like let's take a look at like. If the DCEU were to continue along this path that Zack Snyder had like carved out for them based off of this movie and mm-hmm. things that happened before, um, where would it go and what direction would it take? And you do get that um, from bits from uh, uh, both Batman versus Superman and that post credit scene uh, that you have in this movie where you have this earth is laid to waste. We've got the big Omega symbol burned into the uh uh, the earth's crust so yep. earth is like apocalypse now um and superman is evil we don't know yeah. why he's evil we just well, know he's evil now it's because lois is dead lois is dead we do have, yeah, yeah so he does he does tell Bat- that to batman like it's your fault that she's dead yeah um and now superman is evil because lois is gone which is not unheard of like there are no. a lot of times where after lois dies clark just loses it and he he goes haywire after that um, yeah. So that's not unheard of. We've got, but we've got this post-apocalyptic world. But like, so we don't. And again, we know Dark Side's involved just because the Omega thing is burnt there. And at yep. the end of this cut, uh, you've got a band of Superman, Deathstroke, the Flash, and yeah, Mira's there too. She's yeah, kind Mira, of she, that's who I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah, Mira's there and the Joker, and they're yep. gonna go try and do this one last thing to take superman down uh sort of thing it's like their last dish effort and then they get discovered and that's where the movie ends um so yeah. that's obviously the path that they're taking but how do we get there that's, well, that's what they they don't get time to tell you it, and once again comparing it to the to the original cut here mm-hmm. you know the for for this this whole sequence if you were just watching the original version, it was mm-hmm. it was the really strange and clunky sequence that got roped in. Mm-hmm. You know, where Batman's got his trench coat on, he's in the desert. It well, looks like a desert wasteland, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really fit. You know, oh, because let's say that doesn't happen in Justice League, though. That happens in Batman versus Superman. Sorry, in, in Batman yep. v Superman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. So part of that vision happens mm-hmm. in Batman v Superman, and so it, it still feels clunky, though. Oh because, yeah, because. Well, yeah. I mean, the last Justice movie completely ignores that. Like, it, you get nothing hinting towards that at all. Um, yeah. You have no idea, like, oh, are we just not doing that anymore? Or did that happen at all? Was that just a weird fever dream that Bruce Wayne had? We mm-hmm. don't know. Um, instead, we just get, like, the, uh, the post scene of um, Lex Luthor and Deathstroke coming together to put a team together of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be... Uh, in their mind, if that movie is successful, that's the direction we move into, and we're like an Injustice League for for the for the second movie. Um, yeah. But to figure out where how that happens, you have to listen to like Zack Snyder's whole vision, and this is where like 
it is both like intriguing, but also at the same time, like poorly contrived in my mind, um, where the whole premise of, of Zack Snyder's Justice League trilogy is based around what he calls all, it ta- all he said is all it takes is one bad day. Um, yeah. And that's, that's his whole thing. It's like, well, Zack, hate to break it to you, your heroes up until this point have had nothing but bad days. Like <laughs> yes. there's no good that's been going on. Like Superman, yes, he saves Metropolis, a man of steel. However, Metropolis is greatly leveled uh, despite his best efforts. Batman is clearly an asshole and doesn't really like anything. Um, Wonder Woman is like basically a recluse because we don't, we didn't know what was going on with her after yep. Steve Trevor died. She didn't do anything. And then she just miraculously pops up to solve a problem in Batman versus Superman the other two people, uh, Flash and Aquaman, have no interest in being any larger heroes. Same mm-hmm. with Cyborg. Uh, and then at the end of Justice League, according to like what, what we've had here, what we're going off of Zack Snyder's vision, and we're ignoring Joss Whedon now. Um, yeah, they've won. So I guess they've had one good day. Just one. Just the one good day. That's all they've had so far. Um, yeah. But Zack Snyder just feels the need to, like again, like, like he say, either like deconstruct or tear apart heroes or do something different with them. And that's what he wants to do because that's what he wants to do. Um, but basically you have um, that second invasion by Darkseid happens, um, which we, we see close to in this movie is Darkseid saying, well, Steppenwolf's dead. Looks like we're just going to have to invade anyway. Um, to try and get yeah. the anti-life equation. He finds yeah. the anti-life equation. He um, ends up break um they're invading Earth. Lois Lane's moved to the Batcave for protection. Batman's there supposed to protect her. All the fights going on. Um, it gets to a point where Darkseid is going to kill Lois Lane or Batman. Mm-hmm. He ends up killing Lois Lane and Superman sees it and basically breaks down. He's like, yeah. oh, like crap, Lois Lane's dead. This is, every- this is my everything. And at that point, he's weakened enough for the anti-life equation to actually have an effect on him. Yeah. Uh, so that's what makes Superman basically now a uh, um, a soldier of dark side. And then they just lay waste to the planet together. Um, Which if that if that's the true vision of, of what they're or if, that, if that's one of the interpretations of how they could have taken it. Yeah, um, it, it does lead into some good points as to why the DC mm-hmm. universe could continue, because. When we look at uh, Martian Manhunter, who was mm-hmm. introduced in this film, you know, played by Harry Lennox, of uh, who, if you don't know who that is, he played uh, one of the generals here in the Matrix Revolutions, mm-hmm. right? Um, he's in more things than that, but that's where I remember oh, yeah. him from. But uh, in, in some of the comic origins of Martian Manhunter, um, they kind of allude to the fact that Darkseid may have actually conquered Mars at one point. And he's the reason for the destruction of Mars. Yeah, and it and, is because. Um... That that's part of it is the the Martians actually give Darkseid basically knowledge of the anti-life equation to begin with because the Martians base their life and their technology around the life equation, so they yeah. have the opposite of the anti-life equation that allows them to basically flourish. And then Darkseid's like, well, if there's that, there must be an opposite of it, and you must know about the opposite of the life equation. And then he conquers or like f- helps with the downfall of Mars to begin with. Yeah. Which would give a hell of a lot of motivation to, yeah. <laughs> to Martian Manhunter to mm-hmm. resolve that, that large problem. Right. 
but not um, enough motivation to do anything in this movie other than impersonate Lois Lane. <laughs> Correct. Which, mm-hmm. which, you know, once again, this is a movie that they, they can only have done so it, much with. Yeah. It's not you know. perfect by, by any um, means, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but it was, it was nice to see Martian Manhunter because, because yeah. mm-hmm. now you get to see truly what kind of power he has. And, and after this, this dream sequence, you know, of, of the conquered earth, mm-hmm. um, you know, him introducing himself to, uh, to Batman is, is essentially like the end of the first Avengers where it's like, yep. you know, we've got this, this massive universe that we're now mm-hmm. aware of and all of these things that exist now. So it would make sense that there would be a shape-shifting, you know, alien that can fly mm-hmm. because there's plenty of other aliens that can fly here. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. It's not, a, it's not limited to one or two heroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so the, the whole Martian Manhunter arc, it, you know, it's, it's too bad that they can't go into that now because, yeah. um, you know, I think it's a great way to connect the rest of that universe in um, maybe pull, you know, more, more of the green lantern core mm-hmm. into it as well. Yeah. Um, and, and just start to, to really build that out. And, and so it's, it's a shame that those building blocks are there. Um, and you mentioned as well as, you know, Deathstroke with mm-hmm. Joe Manganiello. Uh, I feel horrible for him just, just because of, mm-hmm. you know, his, his portrayal of the character mm-hmm. looked spot on, you know, yeah. um, God. And, and just, I, I feel horrible for anybody that had like a, a part to be named later, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And just like, like, you're gonna have your moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just one of those. Little just didn't get it, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel horrible for that. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, like um, again, with Zack Snyder's vision though, like which Magnello was a part of um, um, like, so he had a plan for basically a justice league trilogy. And then the second movie is them, trying to go back in time to prevent superman from basically losing it yeah they have to they have to fix the whole thing so um you get the flash succeeds in going back in time to warn um bruce wayne like hey like you have to save the right person it has to be lois lane which is what we see a little bit in batman versus superman we have like the mustached flash reaching out to bruce wayne in a dream sort of thing (laughs) um and so that's the point of the second movie. And then in the third movie, uh, they succeed in um, in that, and that they Bruce they they reset the timeline. And now, when Darkseid is going to kill Lois Lane, Batman actually sacrifices himself and dies instead. Um, and then after that. Superman, of course, is also still mad and then basically flattens Darkseid with the help of the rest of the League. And they successfully um, push Darkseid off the planet. And that's the third movie. And where the third movie ends is Superman and Lois have had a child and the child is powerless. He doesn't get any of Superman's um, inheritance, basically, for some reason. Uh, But when he grows up, he ends up becoming the next Batman. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, those, those things, those concepts, you know, they, they sound pretty like they don't sound bad. No. But when you think about trying to continue to make these DC movies, mm-hmm. you know, we've already got a pretty emotional time traveling experience gut punch from, you know, Avengers Endgame. Yep. Right. And so as you're the EU or the, the EU, <laughs> as you're the, the DC EU, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think that is the decision point for where to jump off here is yeah. that obviously I think you and I both agree Snyder's vision for the original justice league was obviously very well thought out. 
I mean, it, it was, it was very well depicted. I mean, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to survive all four hours of it, but I did. I was, you know, it was an enjoyable experience, but with everything that Marvel has been doing, DC from a cinematic universe has been trying to catch up. And I think that's why we even have this, this recut anyway, you know, because they, they just fumbled the rest of it so hard that that is why they had to make up for that problem. Yeah. And, and so it's a shame that we'll never get the additional, you know, vision from this universe, but it's, it's just at this point, whatever you make, we're only going to compare to Marvel. You know, it's hard to be original anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is unfortunate again. Like, and it's, again, it's unfortunate. Yeah. It's going to be compared to Marvel because Marvel just did it so well. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's, Again, like even though, like we said, like they could have a few movies that don't do well, the overall like setup has been done so well to the point, like, okay, well, anything you do, if it has even remote any remote relation to it, is going to be compared. Like, well, Marvel just, Marvel just did that. So you're really going to do time travel when Marvel did that in Endgame and again, did it interestingly and very well. Like, it's what they did was very fun. Um, and if yours is not even like close to what they do, it's not going to be considered nearly successful. Yeah. And I think the real struggle here is that, you know, Marvel can successfully balance anywhere from mm-hmm. 15 to 20 different properties into a cohesive yeah. two, two part movie. Mm-hmm. And DC can't even do it with six for one. Yep. And, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, it doesn't like, I love the way Marvel did it, but you don't have to do it that way to be successful. Like, it's not like, you know, uh, in the Seven Samurai, um, they made seven different movies that led to the Seven Samurai. Like, no, 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 we we learned about them in that movie, and then the movie went forward. Yeah. Or if, like, you were the the Americanized version, the Magnificent Seven, we didn't get seven cowboy movies that led up to the Magnificent Seven. We just got the Magnificent Seven, and we got backstories from the characters uh, each by each, and then we moved the plot forward from there. And the movie continues and it does it very well. So like, again, like it is, it is sad that like DC couldn't manage to really do either of those things. Like it feels like they were starting to do it the Marvel way where, okay, we got Superman in here. We'll introduce Batman and Batman gets a movie. Wonder Woman comes in, Wonder Woman gets a movie and then we'll get Justice League and then we'll go from there. But it's like, no, like, like I feel like what they had in front of them wasn't insurmountable and they just couldn't do it. Yeah, it's what happens when you have a combination of studio interference, mm-hmm. you know, mounting pressure from the competition. And I think everybody should have just slowed down and took yeah. a deep breath here. Harvey wonders how the DC universe seemingly always gets itself into trouble. Joe, it's honestly baffling. I mean, while Justice League had a combination of tragedy and studio interference, at least we were able to get something meaningful, you know, from the fan response and the precedence that we have now, you know, for future movies that may suffer the same thing. WB executives, you're on notice. Next time I'm going to rip 90% of a director's vision away from them, be ready to face a few consequences. We hope you enjoyed this week's breakdown of Zack Snyder's Justice League, a movie that felt like it would never see the light of day, 
yet rose from the ashes of the cutting room floor to become a memorable and meaningful addition to what has been a largely lackluster DC extended universe. Do you agree with our assessment of the new cut? Was the push you needed to see it for yourself? Tell us what you think. Leave us a review and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and while you're telling us about it, you know, why not mention this show to people who may also enjoy it as well? You, know, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Twitter by searching for the Digital Dissection Podcast or by looking for at Digital Dissect One. While you're there, just like Joe said, why not comment, subscribe, leave us a review? This will all help us, you know, a tremendous amount and ensure that we're still in your ears for the weeks to come. Next week, we're exploring a lesser known area of pop culture, and that's an analysis of internet memes and how guerrilla groups on Facebook, Twitter, and various social media are keeping properties relevant long beyond their original releases. We'll be joined by guest Doug Eberle, Seinfeld fan and creator of content for Seinfeld Suit Posting. And until next time, keep on dissecting. <laughs>